the uh, Vanguard trumpet section, right? We always hug each other, like after the set, we're on the band stand, and like, I make sure all of us hug each other before we leave the band stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just, you know, between sets, forget about before the gig, after the gig, you know. Um, I think it's so important to express this because, well, A, it's just important, but also I think, you know, it makes us, we feel accepted, we feel loved, we feel respected, and we're just going to play better. Yeah. You know, who wants to walk into a situation that's like uptight or somebody's vibing you? Warning. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Guru's Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Nick Marchione. Nick Marchione is a bad man. Nick can swing hard or funk it out with the best of them. He's made a name for himself on Broadway, in the studio, and on the stage with acts as diverse as the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and his four-year stint with the legendary Prince. Nick has killer chops, a huge sound, and an off-the-wall sense of humor, for he is, after all, master of the chop. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined by Mr. Nick Marchione. Nick Marchione. <laughs> you know, I, I, Italian names, man. I don't know. You just never know whether you're gonna, you do all the vowels or anything like that. You know, so. Oh yeah, and at this point, I've gotten so used to like, to like, so many pronunciations over the years, right? On random. Uh, conversations or introductions or gigs or whatever i'm just like man i'll, I'll pretty much respond hold the jokes i'll pretty much respond to anything at this point yeah so so, so what's your what is your favorite pronunciation uh well i just say marcion that's what i grew up my my dad went by marcion i know technically it should be marchione but yeah, well, it's like, uh, you know, my name is Jose, but uh, I, I never said that, you know. Anytime I try to say this, especially when I was younger, people look at me like it was, you know, bizarre or something. But, I mean, when I say your favorite, I mean, what is, like, your favorite bad pronunciation of your name? Oh, um, I vividly remember this. I was a junior in high school, and it was a substitute teacher, right, and they're just making sure they're doing role. Like, they weren't going to – it wasn't even a substitute that was able to teach the subject, right? So it was just like, hey, guys, we're just going to have to hang out for 44 minutes. Right. You know? And uh, do, they're just doing the role, and they get to my name, and, and the guy literally said, March I won. <laughs> and I'm like, technically, yeah, those are all the letters in the correct order. Yes. So, yes, I'm here. March I won. I'll never forget that. Yeah. It's kind of like the uh, the Key and Peel bit that they do with the AA Ron and. <laughs> yes. Oh <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, Nick does have a sense of humor, as opposed to many trumpet <laughs> players. He does have a sense of humor, uh, so. <laughs> Um, let, let's actually uh, kind of go back to uh, back to the, the early days for, for just a second, because, um, you know, you come from a family of trumpet players. So your dad was a, a very respected uh, player and teacher. So uh, 
Hey, what's yeah. that? What's it like growing up in in that kind of a household? Um, I think uh, I'm not trying to romanticize. I think I thrived in it um, because my mom, uh, uh, my father, of course, passed away in 1993, but my mom's still alive, and she's a well, she's retired, but uh, she was a wonderful pianist and teacher. Uh, so, like, you were really it was both parents. You were getting it from both sides. And, and um, uh, it, it was intense because, um, and I talk about this now, uh, you know, Vincent Penzarello. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, when I moved to New York and went to college and I ended up studying with Vince, I didn't realize just how tight Vince and my dad were uh, going to high school together and then Curtis together afterwards and then, of course, their careers diverge. Uh, but um, Vince would talk to me. I, if my dad ever did, I wasn't old enough to remember. But Vince would talk to me about they both went to the same trumpet teacher in South Philly. It was this guy. And Vince said, he goes, man, to this day, I don't even know. I'm assuming he had a last name. He goes, he was just Cesar. You okay. know, he was like, like, he came over from Sicily and he talked trumpet. And so their philosophies on teaching, of course, started with, and one of the things was you had to solfege, uh, you had to, um, they both got valve casings and just valves, like they weren't allowed to have a trumpet until they were able to solfege in all the clefs and, you know, be able to produce a decent buzzing sound and play with valves. So dad didn't go that far with me but it was intense in the in the fact that i had to be able to solfege in every cliff before i was allowed to play the trumpet and i'm not talking about like you know you're 18 years old i'm like eight years old and i'm like i don't want to learn alto but what that has to do with playing you know but it wasn't about playing the trumpet it was about being a musician and understanding all these different facets so uh that was a little intense but also it was like priceless education in a sense. He would take me on gigs. I'd be allowed to sit in the pit if it was at Valley Forge. He was the contractor. Or um, if he was on a gig, I was allowed to sit on the side of the bandstand. It was basically just, hey, man, don't say anything. Just listen, observe, and see how not only uh, listen to how we play, but also how we comport ourselves as professionals and uh, and yeah, there were some times, I, uh, some gigs that I watched, I would use the term professional loosely uh, with some of the cats on the bandstand, but um, it was just, and yeah, and every car ride, right, we're listening to different records. It was, it was wonderful. It was intense. And it was wonderful. It was one of those, uh, you're a kid, you get frustrated sometimes, but now as an adult and as a professional, I look back and I'm like, man, like what an education. I wish all of us could have, if we want to be professional musicians, could have this kind of a learning experience where you're, you're just around it. You're surrounded by it and people are willing to help and willing to tell you things. It, it was one, that was a very long answer. I'm sorry. What I'm hearing is, and I, yeah, I certainly agree with this 
is that um, you know, there, there's the musical side of being a musician, right? And then there's the, pro, the, the business side of being a musician, you know, how, yeah. what it's like to, to actually be on, uh, be on the stage, the things that go into it, the processes that go into it. Um, and, you know, it, it, when you're in the middle of it, you, it, it may feel like a curse, but it ends up, you know, in retrospect, being a blessing to be around that at such a, a young age and kind of have it, um, you know, just become part of the fiber of who you are, uh, as opposed to things that you're going to have to, to learn later on in life. So uh, did those some of those life lessons, particularly, uh, do, do you look back at that now and go, man, I, you know, I, I am so grateful that I had that opportunity or, or that I was afforded those experiences, you know, when you compare yourself to, to other players that uh, maybe didn't have those opportunities? Oh, you know, very much so. And I feel uh, so strongly about also uh, it's kind of funny because well not haha funny but um, so I was 11 when my father passed away and my dad was an only child and he lost his father when he was 10 mm. so he kind of grew up and I feel like it did permeate parts of the way he interacted with the four of his children with like in our family of uh, like being present and being aware of what's happening, not just present in the sense of like, how is your day going? Cause there was a lot of that, right? but it was being present in, um, sometimes there'd be car rides where, uh, uh, you know, like whatever he he'd put in a, it was like, yeah, it was cassettes. Uh, and he would just, you know, he'd put in a cassette and it would be um, uh, Clifford Brown, Max Roach set or the late 50s Dizzy Big Band recordings or something like whatever it was. And he'd be like, like if my mom started talking or if my or her sister started talking, he'd be like, hey. And we're like, OK, he's like, here comes a shout chorus. And I'm like, what's a shout chorus? He's like, here's what a shout chorus is. So it was very much like appreciating what was happening in the moment and on the bandstand, you know, as I thought he had, a, again, from what I remember, I was only 11. So we're talking about old recollections, but um, great sense of humor. And it's like, we're serious about what we're doing. We're professional, but you also have to have fun and you have to enjoy what we're doing because let's be honest, didn't we all get in this to like have fun and play music? So uh, it was very intense. Uh, gosh, even thinking about it, I'm sorry. It, yeah, I'm feeling intense. Yeah, uh, right now. Well, that's you know, that's what it is, though. You know, and I, I'm I've said this a lot of times, and it's kind of like my my firm belief that um, you know music. Music is a form of communication, and all communication yeah. is about uh, your ability to take an idea, a thought, a concept, and particularly an emotion, and to express those internal uh, feelings and, and express them in a way that other people can then uh, appreciate and you know, hopefully duplicate in that person. And you know, I, I think that the people who have the most profound impact on any art, but music in particular, 
are those who have that level of uh, being in touch with their their emotions and the intensities of their emotions. And I know sometimes that, that can be that can be the curse. I mean, I think that's that is, has been the downfall of a lot of the great players over the years. That 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 curse that they had that fine line between genius and insanity. And uh, yeah. but that but that that when you have that intense love for music and and for the for the trumpet in in specific. Um, you know, it comes out in your playing and, and it, it becomes that intangible. It's like, you know, yeah, there are tons of people who have great technique. There, there are tons of people who have the, the, the chops, they have the, all that stuff, but there's just something extra that's missing. And that's that ability to tap into their emotions. Yeah. Um, one more thing from my youth that has really carried over to me, not only as a person, but really at, especially like as a musician when I'm on gigs, my parents had a thing uh, in the morning and at night when you woke up, I mean, you know, maybe you have to use the restroom really quick or whatever, but as soon as you woke up, you found them and it was a hug and a kiss. Good morning. I love you. And mm-hmm. before you went to bed at night, it was hug and a kiss. Good night. I love you. And, uh, you know, I've really carried that into my, adult life but really musical professional life you know like um uh for the the, the, uh, vanguard trumpet section right we always hug each other like after the set we're on the bandstand and like i make sure all of us hug each other before we leave the bandstand Mm -hmm. uh and that's just you know between sets forget about before the gig after the gig you know um i think it's so important to express this because well, A, it's just important, but also I think, you know, it makes us, we feel accepted, we feel loved, we feel respected, and we're just going to play better. Yeah. You know, who wants to walk into a situation that's like uptight or somebody's vibing you? Yeah. I mean, you know, if we can uh, just, you know, accept and love, I mean, why not? And I'm not saying that... uh, and it's not just when it's like the core section of Ray Terrell Staff and John Chidova and Scott Wenhall. It's it's when there's subs there too. You know, it's it's like cats. We're here. We're family. We're playing this music. We're giving it love. Because Lord knows we're not walking home with fifty thousand dollars. So we're we're doing this for love. We're professionals, but we need to have fun. We need to accept each other and love each other and support each other. Yeah. You know, I think that's how the best music will always be performed or as, as you were saying, like any art form, right? I mean, that's, it's going to be best when you do it with love, but I do agree that I think music is, well, maybe it's just my perspective because we're musicians, but uh, I don't know. It's like, it's more intimate. Yeah. You know, the, the, the physical feeling of, whatever the drums of the trumpet player taking a breath next to you and, and having the intimacy of what we do is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so different because <clears throat> I mean, from, from our artistic perspective, I mean, other than the, other than the maybe dance, um, you know, where you're, when you're having to work with an ensemble of some type, I mean, like, you know, you can, you can sit down and, and crank out a painting and never interact with anybody for, you know, 30 years. Uh, you know, when, when you're playing in a band, you got no choice and you've got all these different people that are working together and that you, you have to 
well, you don't have to, but if you, if you really want to be good at it, you, you kind of have to meld yourself with, with everybody else. I mean, those are the great ensembles where it's like almost a hive mind. You know, it's, it's one rhythm, it's one beat, it's one pitch, it's one unit working. You know, it's all these different people, but they're all working together as a singular unit. And when you get those yeah. moments, man, it's just... It's so phenomenal. It's not like, you know, you're you're trying to, you know, make sure that you you hang over and get a nice child going on or that, you know, um, you know, Terrell and, and Scotty are trying to, you know, cut each other on the on the stands, you know, it, it's it, you you push yourself, you push each other, you inspire each other. But it's not in that competitive way. It's it's like, OK, how can how yeah. can I bring my best game to the table so that we are the best band possible. Not so that, you know, Nick gets to, to be the, the headliner for the night. Right, man. I'm sorry. What you just said to reminds me, and this is basically, well, um, it was a weekly occurrence. Uh, so the Vanguard is, is opening back up. Like, thank the Lord, uh, mid September, the band will be back Great. on a weekly basis. But um, every set, because what happens now is that uh, like so Dick Oates and I, the lead out the player, Dick and I call the sets, you know, together. And of course we're willing to have input. Like somebody walks back in the kitchen and they're like, Oh man, how about this? We have done it. Oh, that's a good idea. But what I love is um uh Taro and Scotty will uh literally um we just pass out what we just write the numbers down and Scott or Terrell will say, hey, hey, what do we got this set? And generally, six it's six tunes. Maybe there's three, four trumpet solos on the set. Uh, and I, I tell them, if they don't remember the numbers, which 99% of the time they remember what, you know, what tune the number is affiliated with. But one of them will say to the other, doesn't matter which one, will be like, hey, man, what do you want to play on? And inevitably, the other one will say, oh, man, I don't care. Like, what do you feel? What would you like to play? You know, and it's just like, you know, if that's the way the gig's going to start, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like, not this, oh man, I really like those changes, good those changes, or that's a good key for me. It's, hey man, what do you want? Do you want to play on? Like, I'll, I'll do whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a beautiful thing that uh, in other situations that both of us I know have been on is not the case. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yep. So yeah, but yeah, like you were saying, man, you know, it's just, it's, it's just getting that, that family. And and it sounds like, you know, you're doing your part to, to keep that feeling consistent, you know, from, from set to set, from show to show of, you know, Hey, we, you know, we're, we're in this together, man. Yeah. So let's, uh, Let's let's get get ourselves in sync. And don't make me start singing the Algero tune. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard you sing, so uh, I don't know whether that would be a blessing. Uh, no, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I, okay. <laughs> sorry, that's just all I can think of is we're in this love together. Yeah, right? yeah, but, yeah. And you just, you it's can, a great tune, but it's it's yeah. the sentiment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, and and you know, it's it's having knowing that you have each other's backs. You know, uh, and I think, I've, you know, I've talked to so many people. I've had the the fortune of being able to talk to so many great people over the course of this podcast and, and just, you know, a lot of people that I've, I've known over the years. 
Uh, and it seems like, uh, especially in the big band situation, um, there are so many guys who just have you can can only sing praises for the rest of the guys in their sections because you know like um, yeah I, I've you know talking to uh, to Wayne Bergeron and, and he talks about his relationship with Dan Fernero you know Dan being his wingman and you know he knows that that no matter what happens there's somebody by him that's that's got his back you know uh, the the years of Jerry Hay and Gary Grant and and, and those guys you know that knowing that that they're a, they're a unit. Uh, yeah, Kevin Burns, I recently talked to Kevin Burns and, and talking to Kevin uh, about him and uh, Brian McDonald. I mean, which is that that, yeah. is, that is a phenomenal one two punch right there oh, yeah. know, in the in the airmen. But, you know, having having somebody that you can completely trust and that you're in sync, you know, you're in sync uh, musically, you're in you're in sync kind of emotionally. You're just you're up there uh, and you're able to perform at a higher level because of that. So, um yeah, you you've had it, and, well, and I th I think I'm sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to forget, but man, I think it's so important. This this is just me, just my opinion. But playing a lead trumpet is not. Uh, I don't I don't care if it's um, like a five piece horn section or like when I was lucky enough for those six years to play with Prince and it was eleven piece horn section or playing lead with the Vanguard or Blood Twin, whatever the hell you're at. Playing trumpet is so much more about the music and the notes and the, hey, make sure we're all on four, crescendo here, decrescendo, don't tongue stop there. You're a, in my opinion, you're like, you're like a parent. You, you, you want to, and I don't mean parent, meaning you talk down to your fellow people. I mean, like, you need to be aware of the surroundings and make sure cats are are feeling good and are comfortable with what's happening and listening to people. This is not a, even though at the end of the day, yes, I agree that if a lead player in a section says, this is what we're doing, that's what we're doing. Right. You don't like, you know, usurp authority. Right. But I feel like my philosophy is I do want to be democratic. I do want to listen to you. I do want to hear what you're thinking, feeling, and just because I'm hearing it doesn't mean I have to agree, you know, what I say will go, but I think it's so important to support the people around you, because let's be honest, I mean, all of a sudden you're in the middle of the shock course, your chops are getting a little tired, you know, your section can help you or sink you, or yeah. like you're saying, the, the partnership, which I feel is, again, so important. I agree, like first and second trumpet, I mean... Right? How many great tandems have there been throughout like recorded music history of the 20th and now 21st century? I mean, uh, you know, it, it depends, of course, on like what your flavor is. But like, you know, I've I've been. I mean, look at me. I've been so friggin' blessed in this band. I had Frank Green, and then Tanya Darby, and now John Chinova. It's like, really? Yeah. Like this. This is what I'm getting. This is amazing. Um, uh, Arnie Chikowski had uh, Eric Trigo, right, in Ron McConnell's band. And like you, you were saying, uh, uh, Wayne had uh, has Dan Fornero. Uh, did Wayne talk about, because uh, I didn't get to listen to this one, did Wayne talk about, um, right, like George Graham was such a huge person for him in his life. Did he talk about George at all? Uh, not, not on our episode, but we've talked about George, uh, you know, in some of our hangs. 
right and like so right when Wayne was younger he he was like George's guy on a lot of those recordings that they were doing um, with a okay why am I blanking on his name normally I'm good at this Tom Kubis like on a lot of those recordings Mm -hmm. Jack Sheldon recordings you know like Wayne was the guy uh, and of course but yeah like if you get that right one two punch and man right can we not say enough about uh, Jerry Chuck and Gary I mean that that combination was like geez I mean yeah yeah, you know, and the thing I love about that that combination is that you could really never tell who was on the lead book at any given point in time. Yeah. You know, when when yeah. you, that that's when you really know that there's magic that you there there's no there's no change. And you know what I was watching literally ago, which is why it popped in my head when you said it. But uh, there's this video on YouTube. Well. Of course, there's a million videos, but it's like early '80s. Uh, uh, Al Jarreau, but it's a it's a TV show. It's a live taping, uh, and it's a a smaller session. So it's it's uh, Jerry Chuck. Um, why do I always blank on the sax player's name? Larry. Uh, Larry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And uh, and Bill. Bill is prob- probably probably on Thick of the Night. I think you're right. Yes, but but the but the tune they're 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 doing is um we're in this love together, and it's just uh, they're both on flugelhorn, mm-hmm. and but like those like little breath releases, like the musical things that have nothing to do with playing the trumpet or playing the flugel. It's just like they're going um. I think it's E D sharp F sharp. It's just ba ba hum. With that, how? And it fills with the Larry's with them, and you're just like, and the color is like darker because it's like now between the chorus and the verse, right? Like, you know, it. Oh man, they were so great, are so great, yeah. But so like, just it sounds effortless, but when you know how much thought we do into what we do. To make it sound that effortless it's like man it just yeah i, I was sitting there like uh my wife uh jen hinkle who's a bass trombone player and wonderful musician and works a lot in, in town uh but like she because <laughs> we live in a two-bedroom apartment i was in the other room she was getting ready to go to bed she's like really i think this is the fifth time you've just replayed this too i'm like <laughs> sorry you're getting ready for bed. I'll, I'll stop. So I just put my headphones in. And uh, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's so much of the, uh, I mean, it's, it's the, the amount of time that you spend together, um, you know, as a section, if, if you have, if you're blessed enough to work with the same cats for, you know, for a decade or so, or, you know, and, and, and doing a lot of work, you certainly develop that level of, of um, connection. Um, but then it, it's also just the, the willingness to check the ego at the door, you know, and, yeah. and especially it's, it's kind of the difference between being a, a soloist or a featured artist where it's all about you, 
uh, you know, when you're part of a section or you're, or you're part of a band or you're coming in as a side man or you know, however you want to look at it, um, the mindset needs to be, you know, that you're there to make, to make the artist sound better and to look better and to be better. Uh, you know, uh, you're, you're there to make the entire band sound better. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the, the Nick show, it's the, the Vanguard show. Um, and, and actually, right. that, and that's, that's kind of, I want to transition a little bit uh, and talk about like your time with Prince because I mean, Prince definitely, when you think about uh, major contributors to uh, music over the past, you know, several decades, uh, he's he's definitely on the top of the list. You know, he's he's up there with with some of the other greats that that have really taken music and and uh, you know, especially in, in the the genre, the the pop genre, uh, to have so many influences in there, and uh, to be able to produce uh, stuff that that was listenable to the average person and danceable, but also for a musician to be able to sit there and go, damn. There's just, there's just some crazy stuff going on in there, um, yeah, so yeah, I've, I've heard I've heard a lot of different stories about his work ethic and his uh, professional uh, standards. Uh, mm-hmm. So so can you share shed a little light on on what it was like in uh, the time that you spent with uh, with his band? Sure. Uh, well, so I was hired offered uh, the gig by a friend of mine, uh, Phil Lasker. Phil's also a trumpet player, um, great writer. Uh, and at the time, uh, again, right? Like when we, when we always talk about like, uh, you never know who you're going to meet, what it's going to lead to, right? It's just whatever can happen at any time. So, um, so this, my friend, Phil, uh, he had recently moved to New York, uh, and he ended up getting an apartment 10 blocks south of where I live. And uh, I get an email from him, uh, and we were hooked up by my friend Michael League, who's the uh, leader of Snarky Puppy. Yeah. So Mike gives him my number, Phil calls me, and I just started, like, I would walk 10 blocks down and you know, do like in, in home recording things for him. And, and, uh, been like, this was going on for like a year and a half. And then he's like, Hey man, so I just got a call from friends. And I just started laughing because I knew he was serious, but like the way he said it, I could tell it was like, he thought he was being punked or something. Right. You know? So right, right. he's like, anyway, he wants me to put together a horn section. Uh, do you think he'd be in, be into it? I'm like, I'm going to guess on this. That's a firm yes. Yeah. So we go out there, and the first time we go out to Minnesota is, is where I'm referring. Chan Hassan uh, is where uh, Paisley Park is. And so we're staying in a hotel, literally two stoplights down from Paisley Park. Uh, we thought we were just going to be there for a few days. We ended up being there for a month, just rehearsing. And uh, it was, I, I have to say, um, it was great, but it was a very different experience than what I'm used to. Um, 
not only from growing up in Philly, but living in New York my entire adult life. Uh, it wasn't the, hey, cats, like, set up, here's the charts, let's play. It was like, let's, let's feel this out. Hey, give me some horn lines. And then, like, so um, Phil uh, would write, a, uh, was the primary writer for the horn section. And it was 11 horns. It was four trumpets, two bones, and five saxes. A uh, lot of horns which is awesome. Uh, and this trombone player from Nashville, Roy Agee, wonderful musician, and one of the busiest guys down there and a dear friend. Uh, Roy also wrote, and I wrote some too. Uh, but we would, you know, we just, uh, Prince would just be like, hey, let's try this. Okay, you know what? No, let's try this. Hey, let's try this. And it was, so it was very, much experimental which of course i'm open to but when you're dealing with 11 horns and one two three four, and six rhythm we're talking about you know a lot of things that need to be altered if we're saying let's just experiment because eventually we have to get the stuff set um that was not right i'm i'm used to the new york studio scene or whatever right you just show up and like here's the charts rehearse it, run it down once, and then record. This was new for me, and I will admit that I, I needed to take a few timeouts for myself because I was ready to lose it on people a few times because I just wanted to say, stop, we're off on four, this is happening, this is happening, and we're moving on. But that was not, you know... Uh, the general five of the man, but quite frankly, I really appreciate them because they helped me to see this other side. But Prince, personally, um, and we did have you know interactions a lot, right? Because we just—he was always there. Like um, he wouldn't stick around for an entire rehearsal, maybe, but um, like he—he he listened. And he'd say, yeah, I'm going to go have some lunch. I'll be right back. You know, and then an hour later, he'd come back and listen to what whatever changes he wanted. And we'd play him and there'd be interaction. But him and I had a uh, an interesting beginning to our relationship. Because when I showed up at the time, um, nice. God bless New York City. I think, I think uh, it's the Prince Police coming to get you. Oh. Uh, um, the time I was, I mean, in addition, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm playing lead at the Vanguard, I'm playing lead in the Burnland Big Band. Uh, I was playing uh, first trumpet in the Broadway show Porgy and Bess when that came back with Audrey McDonald. But, you know, it's like I'm working and I'm doing recording dates and blah, blah, blah. So in the back of my mind, those first couple of weeks, I was like, man, I don't need this gig. You know what I mean? Even though I was honored to be there, I'm like, this is getting weird and what's going on with this or what's going on with the money or what's going on with how long we're here, you know, cause I was still having to deal with my life in New York. Um, but one day we're just at rehearsal and this is what chilled me out. Prince is the one who chilled me out. And this was like the beginning of our humorous kind of relationship. It's just, I guess he felt this energy from me that like I was feeling like that. And he walks over, he goes, Nick, what's up? 
how you doing? He goes, I'm fine. I'm asking you what's up. <laughs> and I go, I said, oh, you know, like, right, just trying to, nothing, everything's. And he goes, man, trust me, stick with it. This is going to be good. And that's all he said. He just walked away. And that was like our first actual intimate interaction. Just the two of us. And I went, I don't know. It was just like, it was like something about the way he said it. I just went, all right, I'm sticking around. It's going to be good. And then, you know, fast forward all the years and great gigs and people and just everything. Um, but he, yeah, he was really deep. And right, we always, when we think about these artists, right, we always just, you get to see the flashy side. It's the, the what I w would call like, you know, the BS, the, the phony. Not that it's phony, certainly not. I don't mean his performances or his music. I just mean the people just assume they're a certain way. And my man would like show up and like some crazy ass looking like uh, outfit and like flip flops that with three inch heels. And then like, you know, come hear something. Be like, all right, that's cool. Hey guys, uh, we're gonna take dinner now. Uh, let's go to this restaurant. And he would take 23 people out and we'd go to some random sushi restaurant and dinner was three and a half hours. Oh. And then he's like, let's go back and rehearse. And you're like, sir, it's um, it's 11.45 PM. Are you He's like, yeah, let's go back. Okay. And then we would rehearse until like four in the morning. Yeah. But it was, it was organic. It, it mm -hmm. didn't feel weird. So I really credit him that first moment he gave me. And I, 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 I think, or rather, maybe I should say I know he, he knew what he was doing. He was feeling some energy from me, and he just chilled it out because he could see in the rehearsals again, right? Being the I was the lead player. Like, so I was like trying to corral 11 cats from like seven different states, you know, like everybody lives everywhere. So like, we weren't used to being with each other and playing with each other and having the same kind of phrasing. So I had to really corral and make sure we were a unit. And that was stressing me out. And I think, man, he just read it. And he chilled me right up. It was great. Yeah, you know, and that that's really, I mean, that's a great sign of, of, a, of a leader. Uh, you know, whether it's the leader of a band, lead trumpet player, uh, you know, leader of, a, of an organization, uh, a, a parent of uh, being able to sense when, when others are having difficulties and you know you, you you can see it you can sense it uh the tone of their voice the body language things like that and to be able to step in and not like you know smack them upside the head but basically just kind of give them that nudge that they need to just get themselves yeah. re-centered and it sounds like that's what you do you know with with the uh with the sections that you run you know there it, certainly there's, there's a level of stress that goes on with that but it sounds like in general your approach uh, is is to kind of corral people in more of a a supporting, uh, caring. I don't want to get too you know like you know Hallmark moment here, but you know with kind of a you know more of a of a of a loving hand 
as opposed to you know I'm the lead player, suck it up, you know, sissy boy, and and you know, do it th- do things yeah. my way. Yeah, no, that's yes, exactly. You know, I I don't. Uh, what's the line? Um, you attract uh, more bees with uh, not bees, uh, honey than vinegar. More more, more yeah. flies with with honey than vinegar. More flies, yeah. Yes, you'll you'll attract more uh, bees with. Flowers well, than you will. Yeah, I don't know. You, but, yeah, well, you know, it, and that's. I think that's. Um, I think societally, you know, we kind of have witnessed this. Uh, you know, over the past few years, uh, kind of that reemergence of the strong-handed approach to leadership. You know, mm-hmm. the. Uh, you know. Uh, this is what you know. This is what I think. This is what you should do, and and uh, you know, boom, boom, boom. Whether it be in, in government or, or in uh, uh, corporate America, we just you know, there's been. It's always been there, but it's kind of more come more to the surface where you're seeing people that still have that strong arm approach to to leadership. And um, I mean, fear and intimidation work up to a point, but uh, eventually it. it it stops working, and I think that you know, at least from my personal perspective, uh, people get the best out of me when I feel invested in the situation as opposed to yeah. obligated. You know, when if I if I'm doing something to keep my job, then I, I start to rethink: Do I really want this job? Uh, if it's if it's something where it's like you know, wow, I, I you know, I really need to step up because. I'm the weak link in the organization, then that's a different thing because it's, it's a, a level of commitment and a desire to see the, the betterment of the, the organization as opposed to just, you know, trying to cover your own ass. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, you know, with um, all the stuff that you've done, I mean, you know, obviously you know, we were just talking about the print stuff, you know, the, the Vanguard, uh, Broadway studio stuff, uh, you know, you're you're covering all of your bases. Um, do you have um, like any tips that you would give people in terms of the ability to uh, to effectively shift your roles? I mean, the, because the the demands of playing a Broadway show are different than the demands of playing uh, a Vanguard show, or you know, when you're playing with Prince, or you know, any of the other. Uh, like blood, sweat, and tears, and things like that. I mean, you know, there 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 are different genres, and while you're still playing the trumpet, there has to be a slightly different mindset. I think sometimes based on the type of music you're playing and the position that you're in, you know, lead player or support player, or whatever. How do you switch your mindset? Uh, you know, or what what kind of uh, tips do you have for people on how on how to to juggle multiple roles? Um. Well, first and foremost, and. It- definitely goes back to um my dad you know starting me out but um with like i remember one one christmas and this really is where it started for me is that i got you know i'm I'm hoping for i don't know the latest gi joe tank or some whatever the hell i was probably hoping for i got a walkman and five cassettes and i just you know i open them up and i'm like what is this yeah you know he he just went he goes look listen to it you're gonna like it you're not gonna like it it's fine either way but give it a chance and like i already named two of the albums Uh, it was uh the first clifford and brown uh 
uh, Clifford and, and Max uh, quintet record and the Groove and High Dizzy Gillespie record from the late 50s. Uh, there was a Best of Chet Baker Sings record, uh, a Tower of Power uh, record, the, the Red Label, uh, like the original, like, like What is Hip and like right. that. And, um, and a uh, Earth, Wind and Fire record. And I was just listening to it. And I guess maybe even from a younger age, I was, I wasn't able to understand yet, but I was internalizing, like you could hear there's different time centers. There's different lengths of note. Oh, these guys are breath releasing. These guys are hard tongue stopping on, you know, whatever note or whatever passage it is. And that really kind of set a framework uh, as I got older in, in even in the high school, like just going, I started getting really into it. Um, so what I would, the best advice I can give is listen to as much possible music as you can. Listen to as many diverse styles as you can listen to different players. And it doesn't mean we have to uh, like them or want to play like them, but you're getting information. You're getting a reference for later on, maybe when you're in a situation and this is what you have to do. You know, I think like what I did in high school all the time. And uh, at this time, again, my, my father's passed away. I know it drove my mom nuts, you know, but I'd come home from school. I'd run up to the bedroom uh, and I would just put on like, uh, I had the, the two Sony Iowa three CD changer system. And like uh, the first CD would be like uh, Thad and Mel Central Park North. Um, I don't know if I want to use the word blessed or cursed with perfect pitch, but it was pretty easy to figure out the lead parts. So I would just, I heard them, I memorized them and I tried to play with Snooky. Uh, and then the next record would be Buddy 76 on the road and it's uh, Chuck Schmidt or uh, actually no, Chuck was the entirely player on that record. And then I'm boom, I'm playing, I'm trying to play like that. I'm trying to play with them playing right. like that. And then boom, the next record is maybe an Al Jarreau record, right? And I'm, I mean, certainly hanging on for dear life on all three of those. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I was like, I was trying to play and I, I didn't even realize then what I was training myself to do was play in different time centers, play with different colors of sound. Long, short, breath release, tongue stop, and, you know, how this all molds into a style. And Vince Penzarella, the line that always sticks in my head, which is also another great line uh, to help people, I think. Vince would always say, he would use your last name. Uh, uh, fortunately, being in Italian, he didn't say March I Want. But uh, uh, Vince would say, he's like, look, you listen to all these things. And then you, he would call it, uh, whatever your last name is. He would say, you're Marchion Glue. He goes, and then you glue these things together. That is the start of your sound. He was then... You have to go out and play gigs and work and experience what it's like. And you'll figure out 
no, I need to get rid of this. I need to get rid of this. Oh, I should do more of this. You know, and I love that line because yeah. uh, like to me as a, a finishing approach, uh, I think it's wonderful. And believe me, <laughs> um, I, I go back and listen to things occasionally. Uh, like I listened to um, somebody sent me uh, a clip of me. It, it was one of the tunes we recorded in Tokyo uh, 10 years ago with the Vanguard band. And they were like, man, I love the way you play on this. And it was very nice. And I sent a nice note back. And I listened to it and I'm like, oh God, oh no, 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 you shouldn't do, no, no, this should be, you know, it's like, it brands. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should ever be satisfied with like going, man, dig me on this. This is good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to promote an unhealthy, like, you know, mental image of anyone when we're playing. Um, but you grow, you get older, you grow. Hopefully if you listen to more and you do more and, and question yourself and say, am I doing like, is this the best I can do? So to speak in the sense of, you know, uh, getting better in, in any facet, um, harmonically writing, jazz playing, classical playing, triple tongue. I mean, whatever, you know, yeah. So well, my, yeah. my advice, so that is absolutely, that is absolutely spot on. And yeah, it's been a firm, uh, firm belief for myself that regardless, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes, and I've, I've said this on a number of episodes is, uh, how you do anything is how you do everything and developing, you know, having this kind of a mindset of how you approach life. And for me, um, you know, I never, I, from this at this point now, from today, if I look back on anything that you know I've played on or anything that I've written or like you know the the stuff that I've taught as a as a martial arts instructor or as a mindfulness consultant or things like that, if I look at, back at anything ten years ago, I want to kind of cringe. I want to go, ooh, that yeah. that that wasn't no nah, no nah, that wasn't quite it. Because that's a sign that I've grown. You know, I, I, I don't want to look back. I don't want my best days to be behind me. I want my best day to be today until I get to tomorrow. Then I want tomorrow to be my best day. You know, and, and even, agree more. even if, you know, sometimes we have things that change, you know, like as, as we get older, um, you know, maybe your physical skills decline, you know, as you, you know, for as a trumpet player, you know, maybe, maybe your, your chops are not as strong as they used to be. Uh, but you know, especially in the world of jazz, uh, yeah. So maybe maybe you don't have the double C anymore. Maybe you don't have you know. Not, maybe you can't play in the triple registers or things that you know whatever. Uh, you know, you can't you can't tongue as fast. Your fingers aren't quite as fast. But you've had more life experience, and you've had those. And if we're talking, go back to that thing about emotions and and expressing content. You know, the longer you live, the more you should have to say. And you, you may not have the facility to do it to the extreme that you did as a, as a younger person, but you've got much more wisdom. You've got, you've, you've got more emotion to share. And so I, I really am a firm believer that, uh, you know, 
yeah, you don't want to go, you know, oh my God, I just, I'm so horrible because that's, that's a really horrible, that's a bad place to be at mentally, just like, you know, yeah. being completely uh -huh. narcissistic, but it's, it's that reality of like, okay, well, that's the best I could do back then, but you know what? I can do so much better now. And it's, it's just because I put in the additional time and the effort. Yeah. And, and shit. Well, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. But, uh, like, also, you know, I, I, for me, I constantly think, um, and it may sound harsh, and I don't, I know it wasn't meant to be harsh. Um, it was meant to be like to push me when I was a kid. But like I'd come into, you know, the room and I'd play something for dad and he'd be like, uh, all right, uh, that shouldn't be slurred, though. That should be tongue. Can you tongue that? And I'm like, well, and I would try and like I would struggle with it. And he'd go, he'd go, look, he goes, son, I don't care what register we're in. If you can't control every aspect of the note, it's not a real note for you yet. Meaning, like, can we um, sforzando piano decrescendo tongue release, uh, or tongue stop or breath release like a high F? Can we double tongue on high E's or whatever? Like, I mean, within reason as far as register goes. But he was basically trying to say, he's like, look, you need to have command of this instrument because what this is going to give you, if you have command of it, that means now you have musical that's it you have the freedom you can now express yourself on this instrument you know however you want um and that's always been something that's been very um it's it's stuck in my mind it's it's something that um occasionally still gets brought up to me you know um a dear friend who left new york uh you know, the uh, name trombone player, Luis Bonilla. Yeah. And Luis was in the Vanguard, right? Um, but he, now he's in Graz. He, he accepted a teaching gig there about two years ago. And this is probably three, four years ago. We were just having dinner before the first set one night. And Luis said to me, I really consciously never thought about it. And Luis went, he goes, dude, he goes, I have never heard a lead trumpet player breath release more notes than you do. I'm like, do I breath release that many notes? And I started thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, um, unless it's musically appropriate, I literally hate tongue stopping notes. Because I feel like, and, and I got this from my dad and from Vince, and it was like such a subconscious thing. But uh, uh, they would just talk about, and which is what they got from this guy Caesar, you know, back in Philly, is that no man, air, air, the air always has to keep moving. The only thing your tongue does is either 
help something musically or gets in the way. Do not let it get in the way. And so Vince used to uh, talk about, uh, he would, he would say, he goes, all right, man, imagine there's a river, right? Water's flowing. Uh, he goes, so that's your air. Okay. And he's like, yeah. So our tongue should be like fossil wood. And right, that's a really lightweight wood. Uh, so he's like, our tongue should be fossil wood. He goes, we don't want to have a, you know, a freaking tree trunk just crashing into the water. He goes, right, because what happens then? He goes, then the water stops for a second and then has to move around, but it keeps going. He goes, but fossil wood, it literally like hits the water and just keeps floating. That's what we want our tongue to be. We want just motion. We don't want to uh, prepare ourselves for things, so to speak. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. When he meant prepare, he meant, you know, like, like you're bracing yourself or something, i.e. Um, it is something that I constantly think about when I'm practicing. But like, even if I'm just practicing a shout course, like from you know, like three and one or something, just like, hey, I should probably do this just to like, you know, touch this kind of physical part of trumpet playing. Um, but a few of myself go, um, like that that stop yeah man that, that bugs the crap out of me like i it's like no like just it needs to keep moving the air needs to keep moving and your tongue just like vince used to say he goes you're trying to taste the note stop trying to taste the note he goes i'll tell you what right now taste a banana can you think about what a banana tastes like said, yes sir i can he goes yeah um, how long did that take for you to think about? Like, I don't know. It was kind of instant because I know what it was. He's like, yeah, exactly. Um, so why is your tongue taking one second to think about playing the next note? I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm but, sorry. Uh, you know, it's like, that's the stuff that I constantly still like think about when I'm practicing anything. Yeah. I, I just want um, we get so, as tremble players, I feel like we get so driven down by the instrument. We forget that it should be vocalese. You know, it should just be, we're singing. Yeah. And when you, if you start making uh, examples to people about, uh, right, you're like, uh, hey, sing that how you just played it some random lyrics and singing how you just played it it's kind of funny sometimes right because it's like a good like that's what i still do to myself at least that's you know like uh i did uh, a record date last week and swinging big band thing um for this uh country singer brett eldridge great guy but it was a new york band heavy it was uh it was me, uh, Tony Cadlick on set, Brandon Lee on third, Wenhold on fourth, Dennis McCurl on drums, uh, Mike Davis on lead trombone, Jeff Nelson on bass trombone. It was it was heavy. Yeah, it was the guys. It was great. But uh, you know, like, I'd still I'd like look at the chart. And I'm like, and I would sing like I would make up words, just you know because. 
I feel like as soon as we get the trumpet in our hands, man, we're just like, I need to execute this lick versus no. Like this was at one point, a couple centuries ago, the romantic instrument. And now I feel like so many people kind of use it as a weapon. And, and like what you were saying, about, uh, I'm sorry, just a few seconds, a few minutes earlier, or maybe at this point, five hours earlier, because I keep talking, um, uh, you know, like high note, man, I'm sorry, that stuff drives me nuts, because I'm like, I don't practice high notes. Um, I have, I credit uh, my father, I credit Vince, and of course, practicing that I have the physical structure I do so I can do what I can do. But especially in this pandemic, yeah. Um, all I do is if I play high, it's because I'm practicing a lead chart just to make sure like I still have it. I'm not going, man, I want to try to, I can make sure I can still tongue this double high beat. It's just like, why? Is this musical? Like, are we approaching music by whacking high notes? For me, sorry. For me, that's just, no, music is not about high notes. And sometimes I often find myself having to politely, uh, whether, you know, clinics and with college bands or, or whatever, just being like, yeah, so we should need to focus on like the phrasing. And um, yes, I like playing Wind Machine too, but um. Um, yeah, we, we don't need to worry about the note at the end. Maybe we should just focus on playing music and yeah. worry about notes. Never? I don't know. Never is not the right term, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, there's, there's lots of lots of really great uh, nuggets in there uh, that you, you kind of touched on. Uh, both in terms of like you know your your approach to practice, uh, you know some some of the mindset stuff, and and it's you know real funny because uh, you know when um, when I was teaching martial arts uh, full time, um, that was one of the things that that always drove me buggy was um, you know, like people would would do okay until either you know they they do their solo practice or form practice they look pretty good and then it's like then you put them either with a partner like you're doing you know some partner exercises free fighting or whatever or you're doing some weapons work and all of a sudden their movement changed and I'm like well, what changed and like well somebody's here or I've got a sword in my hand I'm like well no that really did, that's not a change nothing about you should have to change Yes, you have to adapt and adopt a little bit, but the basic mechanics of your motion, the basic concepts of what you're doing should stay consistent. The weapon, it's an amplifier. Yeah. It's an amplifier of your energy and your tension. What you're doing with your partner, if you don't think about them being there and you just do what you got to do, then they've got no choice but to, to move or be moved. So you know, stop thinking about the external as being something different. Just do what you know you're supposed to do and just let it happen. And uh, I see that, you know, the same thing with trumpet, you know, and, uh, you know, it, you know, we can breathe, we can sing, we can phrase until we get the horn in our hands. And then now <laughs> I've got this thing. And you start thinking about the thing as opposed to what's going on in here in your head and in here in your heart. 
man. That was a beautiful way to express that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll I mean, send you the bill later. Really? <laughs> but I mean, really, right? It's like, I mean, I've I've gotten to the point, um, and when people listen to this, I hope they will really accept this in, in the way it's meant. Um, there's been times at the Vanguard. There's been times on any I've I've just flat out folded. But the difference between 20 years ago and now is that I can laugh. And what I mean by that is, like, I fold it and I'll just laugh. Because 20 years ago, I was like, I need to make everything. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And then I need to make sure I play that A at the end, like, you know, and if anything went wrong, it was like, you know, the, the slam the horn down thing. And uh, now, like, I can feel myself getting tired. Um, this is when, like, uh, it's the first time it happened at the Vanguard, but this is a specific story. So hopefully people will understand where I'm coming from. So uh, it was right before John Mosca retired and John was the lead bone player and leader of the bank band since Mel passed away for a long time until a couple of years ago. And so John decided to call an audible uh, last tune of the second set. And I had had a long day, I guess I was fortunate enough. I think I was doing a recording in the afternoon. It was two sets now with the banger and he called Central Park North at the you know he, like that was the audible for the last tune uh-huh. and um he was like he he turned around and he looked at me before he announced it he goes hey nick how do you feel about uh 45 at center park how do you feel about 45 i said john i don't know it's i said it's not gonna happen and he goes oh man you sound great it'll be fine i'm like no it's not gonna happen you know what I mean? Like, because I, well, I guess also I need to incorporate a little bit at this point. Um, the way my face is, um, I don't know if this, if I'm lucky or not lucky, but like, while I can feel myself getting tired and getting winded, I literally sound the same until nothing works. Yeah. So it's like, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool. And my lips stop vibrating. Uh huh. You know what I mean? I mean, even though, well, meaning I sound, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool. Even though I'm like, oh shit, it's coming. It's yeah. coming. Oh, excuse me. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, John, I don't think this. He said, no, no, it's going to be fine. And I said, okay. <clears throat> like, here we go. You know, And, you know, we started playing the tune. Get to the solo section. Uh, I think it was Billy Drews played the soprano solo and Terrell Blue, and then the shout chorus. And it was like, and I'm like, oh no, oh no. I just started laughing because I was like, I told you, like, yeah. am I happy? No. Am I embarrassed? 
yeah, like, but I've gotten to this point in my career. It's been enough years. Yeah. Like, I told you this wasn't going to end well, and it didn't end well. And yet we still have to go back to the, you know, DC to the top and play the Dakota. Yeah, it didn't end well. Yeah, yeah. But I was laughing in the sense that it's like, man, just we need to know and understand our places and also understand that, you know, high notes is not everything. Our, our man or woman, uh, whatever, our virility, for lack of a better term, like, is not tied to playing high notes, or at least I don't think it should be. So it's like, how about we concern ourselves with the music and assume that, you know, if we're not having a bad day, which we all have, yeah, that we'll just be able to, you know, make it through. But, you know, like music first, I, I do not judge my performance on how many high notes I played or how many ledger lines there were. Actually, quite the opposite. Yeah. I, I thought that it was in your contract that you were paid by the ledger line. I, I'd heard that story somewhere. There may have been a line about that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, it, it's it's refreshing to, to hear that. And, and I think, especially for younger players, um, it's I think it's really important for them to hear about those times when when basically shit just ain't working. Because we all deal with it in in any profession, you know. Uh, I mean, even even doctors, even though you don't want to hear that, you know. But even doctors make mistakes every once in a while, uh, you know. But it, it's it's your ability to to compensate, um, because uh, you know. So using that that doctor analogy, I mean, my my wife's a nurse, uh, and you know. You, the 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 problem the if you make a mistake which we, like, again we all do make mistakes it's your ability to adjust and correct as quickly as possible you know like if, if you if you know anything about like flying like you know a, a a flight that goes from new york to la it's not a straight shot you know and the the pilot is constantly having to do course corrections you can set a direct course and go okay i need to go 45 degrees south from this point but once you get in the air and you're dealing with with air you know turbulence and and things like that and the rotation of the earth you've got to compensate your flight constantly in order to hit your target um so they're constantly basically making mistakes and then course correcting uh with trumpet with trumpet in particular, especially in the lead trumpet role, uh, it's like, you know, we have this this false sense, and whether it's in our, our an internal one or an external one that we're getting from, uh, like a you know your your band director, if you're you know, like in high school or college or something like that, uh, your employer, uh, that you've got to be like one hundred percent all the time, and you know, you can't make mistakes, but we're human and we're always going to make mistakes. The question is how quickly yeah. can you compensate for that and, and make it right? So, uh, yeah, I think it's important to hear that because I know when I was younger, I had this, I had this false idea that like when I listened to a, 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 a recording, like, a you know, talking about earlier about Jerry and, and Gary and, and Chuck and those guys, like, you know, listening to uh, Earthland fire track and going, Oh man, those guys nailed it. There's no way I can do that in one take. Well, they didn't do it in one take. 
Yeah. You know, and it wasn't until I got into the studio and understood that, you know, oh, you can overdub. Oh, duh. Uh, you know, uh, not that you do, you want to do that. You know, you would certainly, you know, if you can, if you have a choice between playing it in one take and, and playing it in 10 takes, you're going to take the one take. But, you know, the fact that you do have that option takes a little bit of pressure off of you. Uh, and I think sometimes yes. we have too much pressure on ourselves. Um, man, you know, uh, same thing on, on this, Dave, that I just talked about a little bit while ago for this guy, Brett Eldridge. Um, it's also, I will say this guy is awesome. I love this cat, Brett. So he, he's based in Nashville. He's a big country star singer, but he's an excellent singer. And in my opinion, musician. But he's got a great voice. This is now our third CD we're doing for this cat. And it's all Christmas music. Okay. This cat loves doing, you know. Uh, but yeah, like at one point in this date, and I'm going to, I freely admit, um, God, if my wife was here, she'd just start laughing. Uh, you know, during this whole pandemic, I mean, I've been able to do some recordings at home for people and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, Hey, we're going to be in the studio together. The whole pandemic, man, I'm, I'm doing like anywhere from two to four hours of practice a day. Cause I'm just like, I don't know when anything's going to happen. And I just want to be prepared. Yeah. But I was feeling very anxious coming into this, but it's all my friends. It's all everything. It's just, Oh yeah. I haven't done a date live in like months or, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, I was, I was feeling anxious coming up to it. And what was funny was when we were in the studio, I could feel the other guys kind of feel on that too. Like we're all cool. We're all happy to see each other, but we're all like a little, you know what I mean? Like you just feel that tension. And um, again, I took it upon myself. Uh, I think, like we were just like, you know, we were playing through it, but right, that typical stuff where they're like, hey man, let's just record everything because you never know, we might, you know, take right. a bottle. Um, and uh, like we did this one, uh, we did, one of the tunes we recorded was on uh, Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Uh, and instead of the famous one that we all knew that like they use in all the commercials, which is an R key of F, this was just down a half step or an E. And uh, the guy who orchestrated the record, piano player, Rob Mouncey, great orchestrator, great oh, yeah. guy. I've worked with Rob a lot over the years. Uh, but it was like, we're just not used to reading music. Yeah. <laughs> but like, again, it's like any muscle, like you just get out of shape. And so, um, I could, I just, I don't know. I felt tension in the room and I was like, man, I got to do something. And of course, right. You're the lead trumpet voice. Like, yeah. If you screw up, I'm fairly sure everybody hears it. So, uh, you know, we, like, I, I just did one of those and I waved us off and Rob stopped me. He was, Hey man, what's up? And I just went like, it's all I could think to say, but I was trying to loosen the vibe with the guys. Mm -hmm in the room and i just went i said man i said rob i'm sorry like around right around letter d um man uh like somebody fucked up <laughs> and and i'm fairly sure his name rhymes with rick mars capone so uh, uh if we could uh start that again right and everybody laughed 
and then it just chilled it out. Yeah. It was obvious that I was the one who misread the lick. Yeah. And like an idiot. But I felt like, no, I need to stop, not just because of this, but I feel like we're all just, we need that release. Mm-hmm. We need that laughter and we'll feel better. And literally the next take was the take. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I, this stuff is so man um if you don't mind my saying what or and of course you can edit out but what you said before we started recording that's what it's about it's not about talking about trumpet playing it's about this it's about you know connection and uh community and a familial feeling and that is what makes the music go. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's like, you know, this is just a microcosm of, of society as a whole. And, you know, our tendency is to identify the things that make us different from someone else, um, you know, and to focus on that as opposed to trying to latch on to the things that we connect on. Um and I think it's where music really helps is that music does music can be that connector uh, because it, it, it bridges uh, social boundaries, you know, the, the strata. I mean, you, you can you could be, you know, living in a tenement or you could be living in a, a penthouse uh, and still, you know, you hear music and it's going to make you move. Uh, you know, you, you can you don't have to speak the language. Uh, you know, it, it's funny it, to me how many people uh, have learned to speak English by singing like some American standard songs, whether it be a rock and roll song or you know, like an old Elvis song or something like that. Yeah. You go, you go to, you, point, you, yeah. you go, you go to some country and they're in care, doing karaoke and everybody can sing my way, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, but it, it, it bridges all of these different, these different uh barriers and it's that connection and and, you know that's part of what i'm trying to do with with this podcast is to give people a chance to connect with uh you know people who have uh, this common love for the trumpet specifically although a lot of you know professional players actually have a a love-hate relationship with the horn And you know, I don't know the, what you're talking about. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, to to you know, our love for music, uh, and then you know, the community and things like that. It's just even with the pandemic, you know, obviously that that completely screwed the pooch for so many of us who wanted to be able to try and get together with people. But even before that, and and post pandemic, there are going to be there there are going to be people who aren't going to get that opportunity to sit down and talk with someone with your level of experience or, you know, the level of experience of, of, of so many of my other guests, you know, they just, they don't have that, that opportunity. So to give them a chance to just be able to be a part of the hang, you know, and, and, oh, yeah. you know, because I mean, you know, you know, intimately the importance of that and, and how, you know, the hang, the hang is where it all happens. You know, the, the gig, yeah. you know, the gig is great, but, you know, the hang is the, the right. hang afterwards, and man. What do we always say to each other, right? Like, we show up for sound check or, or rehearsal or whatever, and within, like, three minutes, one of us is inevitably going, all right, man, where's the hang going to go? 
you know, I mean, like, where are we going for dinner? Where are we going on our break? Where are we doing? You know, like, and that's, yeah, that, right? Inevitably, somebody says it. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. And and I think the the better you get at the hang, the better you get at the music. Because, you know, if, if music is our communication and our communication is, is expressing what we know, what we feel, what we've experienced, the more experience you have, the more you have to say. And, you know, we can either, we learn through either our own experiences, the things that we do, or we learn through experiences of others. So, you know, if, if I said, you know, like today, you know, we, we've had this great conversation. There's already so many things that, that now I can take as part of my experience. I can start to play with some concepts. I can, can start to reevaluate the way I'm approaching certain things, whether it be on the horn or off the horn. Um, so I think those, those are the, the things that we learn on the hang, and, and that's how we influence each other. Uh, and that's how we grow. That's how we grow the art. Uh, that's, that's how we grow society by just, you know, sharing and, you know, sharing, caring and, and buying beers. So. Amen to all the three yeah, of those things. Yeah. Unless you go with the drummer, the drummer never buys. I don't know what it is about those guys. No comment. Yeah. No comment. Um, well, you know, I, uh, we have, uh, wow, man, time is just flying. I've got two segments I need to get through uh, before I can release you from your, uh, your sentence here. Uh, and uh, the first one is our obligatory uh, nod to the gearhead in us. Uh, this is the Geared Up segment. This is a segment where we talk a little bit about gear. We don't have to go too deep. But mostly what I want to know is, uh, like, your approach to gear and you know why you kind of why you choose what you choose and what you look for out of out of uh out of a horn or a mouthpiece or anything that you're doing and you know just give some people some insight into okay. um well being trained classically um that always has stuck in my mind meaning having um, I know I sound bright, but meaning like I, I want to be able to color my sound, which means I have to find equipment and I am not like a mouthpiece switcher personally. So even though I have, like I carry, um, I literally carry uh, a four trombone thing in my bag so if it's like you know seven trumpet mouthpieces and my flugelhorn mouthpiece um six of those trumpet mouthpieces have not been played in at least 15 years <laughs> it's one mouthpiece so um i subscribe to i heard a line and i really dug this um alan vizzuti said uh one time at a clinic that i was at alan said man i I want to play the smallest equipment I can get away with, with having the sound, not only that I need, but that I want and having the ability to, you know, do what I need to do. But, you know, I prefer smaller and that's kind of my philosophy too. So I, I've been playing, I'm on my second one now, just cause the first one had to get replated three times. I played it so much, but uh, uh, Greg Black 10S, which is 
very similar to a Giardinelli 10S. Mm-hmm. And a number five backboard uh, from Greg. And Greg used to tell me like years ago that that was a copy of, I believe, a Giardinelli backboard as well. So um, the mouthpiece is... 10s it's it'd be like a i don't know maybe like a like a buck 10f you know what i mean so it's yeah it's shallow but the throat entrance is much larger than box and this five backboard um is pretty open so in other words the resistance comes boom like right in the mm-hmm. cup and the horn that i played for years uh I'm now officially, we're going to make the announcement pretty soon uh, in, uh, in artist, but uh, we'll get to that in a sec. Um, but for years, I was playing uh, 2X benches. Um, a burp for a long time, made in the 52. And then after that, uh, I kept, it was just, it was needing to get redone. Like, you know, it was going to have it was an overhaul position. So my backup was a late sixties LA Burbank bench two X. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always loved them because of the sense that, uh, um, like the bell of the two X basically benches at, in that period. And this is when, well, in the fifties, this is when Elton bench was still alive. Right. Um, like the bell was the only difference if it was a medium large or the bell was the only difference so like the rest of the components were the same and so what i found was this combination of okay it's really tight up here uh and then the mouthpiece is a little bit more open and then uh the lead pipe was like cool it it was like a medium like a throaty kind of sound and then the bell went so for me the way i i put air through the instrument it allowed me like for instance like whatever i could hold a high d for four bars and decrescendo on it and like literally not ever sweat like falling down to a c or anything like that like yeah that balance for me was really great but as the years, as the 20 years have gone by, yeah, how many good condition, like 1956 Burbank benches can we find on the internet? Yeah. So um, I started talking to Shires mm-hmm. and um, I went up there, I went to Boston and, and they're great. And so now I'm playing a Shires and it's basically, um, they call it a CVLA, but I changed the lead pipe and I changed the tuning slide and I put heavy valve caps on the bottom. But I mean, it's all things they have. They didn't have to like recreate anything right. for me. But basically I'm playing their version of a 2X Burbank bench, except, and no disrespect to Burbank or Eldon, but, um, it was weird when I got this horn because it played in tune. Like I played a C scale and I was like, oh, I'm flat. Oh, I'm sharp. Um, and I'm like, 
I was so used to mentally manipulating each note because I was so used to the benches. So I'm like, wow, now I got a horn that's like, it's not 60 years old. This thing actually is still tight and plays in, in an even scale. What a concept. So basically, 10S uh, Greg Black mouthpiece with a five back four of his and a CVLA Shires. That's awesome. Well, and I think, you know, the one of the, the big, the great points you just brought up was about, uh, you know, you know, figuring out where you like your resistance, you know, how, how you like the blow. And, um, you know, a lot, so many people, you know, it, they just pick up the horn because, you know, the, you know they, they want to pick up the, the, the Nick Marchion horn because they want to sound like you. But unless they have the same set that you do, you know, unless they, they've got the same approach, it's not going to, you know, it's not like, like putting, on, putting on a pair of Jordans isn't going to make you play like Mike, you know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. So, and that's why I, I'm always happy to know if, when people want to know what I play, right? But yeah, like you couldn't have just said it better, right? It's like, um, if you run out right now and call Greg Black and go to Shire, you're not going to sound like me. Um, and maybe in some cases that's good, but uh, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the headspace. It's the musical thing. It's not the. Yeah. It's, it's all those things. And, you know, and, and your explanation of the way that you like that setup, why you like that setup is great because I, I think, you know, a lot of people don't have that knowledge uh, and they don't have someone to sit down and, and talk to them about, you know, the, the kind of differences like, okay, well, this is, you know, if, if you've got a, a, a tight setup up front, then maybe you're going to want to have a bigger bell, or maybe if you've got a bigger, you know, if you've got a smaller reel, maybe you want to be a little more open up front. I don't know. You know, so just yeah. giving people the concepts of, of here are the variables that you can play with now go play and figure out which one works for you. And yeah, I, I've heard Alan say that same thing about, you know, using the smallest, the smallest gear uh, in terms of his mouthpiece, because, you know, it's like, you, you, sure, you can get a huge sound on a, on a, a Bach one, but do you, do you really want to work that hard all the time? You know? Exactly. And, some and, I think, right? and sometimes I think that comes back to, as, as you brought up earlier, and I know I did as well, uh, Right, our ego. We're trumpet players. We're manly men, but you know, yeah, I'm gonna whack this. And you're like, you know what? Sorry, uh, for me personally, don't really want to work that hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm much more content to just go and have it sound like, as yeah. opposed to um, having like two hernia surgeries and uh, and feeling like I'm a man. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was uh, just recently did a uh, interview with uh, Mary Elizabeth Bowden, Bowden. There you go. Um, and uh, she was talking. Yeah, we were talking about the difference. You know, the what women have to go through. A female trumpet player, you know, and and being in this egocentric, testosterone laden world of of trumpeters. Oh. Uh, and that was one thing she was saying. She's like, you know, you know these guys were playing these one, you know, one season. And I thought I had to do that. You know, I wanted to show them that I was just as tough and, you know, I had as much air as anybody else. And she's like, yeah, that was the stupidest thing I ever did in my life. You know? So I, I think sometimes we, we buy into that of, you know, 
macho. And, and granted, some people, that's great. That's the gear they need. Some people need large war horns. Some people need large mouthpieces. It's, it's an individual thing. But to, to say the only way to get a big sound is to play huge gear, I think that's one of those fallacies that has been perpetuated. Uh, you know, like, you know, Vizzuti is that perfect example. Vizzuti has, you know, a beautiful sound. And can, yeah, and, I, and I've done gigs with Alan where he's like, you know, a guest artist and he's the front man in front of a big man and like he starts playing stuff and I'm like, that ain't no small sound. Like, it's all about figuring out what works for you and you can get the sound you want. You know, I've, uh, I don't think I've ever been accused of having a small type, sound, but it's all about figuring out, the, right, the, the, uh, the ratio of what works for you because that was the first time I worked with Alan after he did that um, that clinic that I went to and yeah it was just like just like a swing tune and he, and, he, and he sounded great but then like he played like the lead parts it was like a five trumpet thing but he played it out front and I you know I heard I think it was just like a like a high E or F I can't remember but like I heard it smack off the back of the wall and I'm like, and there was no mic in front of him. I'm like, yeah, I'm fairly sure that's working. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty big sound right there. Yeah. Good, uh, good yeah. for you. Sure. Question is, did he put a chaw on it? Uh, no, unfortunately he did not. He did but not chaw. Okay. Well, uh, is the next topic. Are we fully here? <laughs> we're not gonna. We're not gonna. We're not gonna chaw. Uh, if anybody wants to know about the art of the chaw, they can. Uh, you can. You can find out more about that. Uh, we'll, we'll put some links to to some some good stuff for you there. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm gonna work on a uh, uh, a compilation of of all of all of the the greatest chaws in uh, in history. So maybe we can team up on that. I got a few in mind. I'm <laughs> being mean. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the, the final section of this show is uh, our uh, Robinson's Remedies Rapid Fire Round, brought us to us by our good friends at Robinson's Remedies. Uh, for when yeah. you need some rapid relief for those swollen chops. Um, so this is a series of uh, rapid fire questions. Uh, Nick, I just need your quickest response. are going to be all over the place. Uh, all right. You know, let's see how you do with this. Uh, if you get all of the questions, <laughs> if you get all the questions done in uh, below the required time, uh, you get a special prize, a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. If you will eat those. If. Do, do you get back down to Philly a lot? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I teach at a Temple oh, University. Okay. I didn't realize that. So, yeah. So yeah. every week I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, me, almost every week there is cheesesteaks involved. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I, <laughs> d, 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 yeah, I, I'm about, I guess I'm about 90 minutes from, I'm about 90 miles from, from Philly, which means it's more like two and a half hours because I have to drive down to Schuylkill. And, uh, oh, yeah. your host. Uh, man, that's my least favorite stretch of road in the entire world. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, now that I said that I'm jonesing for a cheesesteak myself, so uh, <laughs> I, I, might have to, I might have to come down to the temple one day and, and uh, meet you for lunch. Uh, Please. But only if you can answer these questions in the allotted time. All right, here we go. First question for uh, Nick Marchione. 
Who's the biggest influencer in your life that is not a trumpet player? Dick Oates. All right. And what is your favorite book? Next question. <laughs> there is no passing. You can't call yeah. the lifeline, uh, though. Next question. Um, no. Uh, favorite book. Uh, God, it's been a while. Um, oh, uh, the road, the road less travel. Road less travel. Okay, good. There you go. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Scream. Mm, okay. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Baseball. Mm, Phillies. First dream in life. First dream in life. Baseball All right. player. All right. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Water. <laughs> you say that with a question? Uh, yeah, a vodka soda with wine. Okay. That's good, too. Uh, you could have a, a dinner party and invite any three living people in the entire world. Any three living people can come to your dinner party. Who would they be? Hmm. Living. living that's what difficult uh all right uh do i like many living people uh, <laughs> that, was, that was gonna be the question wow i'm kind of blanking um three living people uh we can include friends right yeah, any three people all right uh i'll take uh, Tony Cadlick, Lanny Morgan, and Pete Chrisley. Mm, okay, that's a swing and dinner. Um, you're going to have uh, three additional people that you're going to invite to this uh, party, but they have to be from history. So, any three people that are uh, no longer with us: Fat Mel and Duke. Mm, okay, definitely swinging, hard swinging. Uh, next question, lacquer plated or raw? Um, I'll go with lacquer, even though the current horn is lacquered, except for the lead pipe that is raw brass, but mm. lacquer generally. Okay. What's your favorite quote? Do you want to know who it's by as well? I don't have to know who it's by, but if you want to, you know. Uh, well, it's by Al Porfino. And it's, I guess we'll have to tap our feet after four bars of hearing the rhythm section play on a gig. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's a great quote. Uh, what is your greatest fear? Probably not being able to play trumpet, but it's not because it's the trumpet. It's how I spread, express myself musically and through love. So the thought that one day, whether it's age or some kind of infirmary, I'm not able to do that. That's my biggest fear. Okay. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Ironically enough, I, and I have had dreams about this, I'll go with flight because I'm afraid of heights, but yet somehow I have all these dreams about me flying. So, yeah, I think it must be flight. Okay. 
if uh, I could fly. If you could fly. Um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? High notes. And what aspect do you feel is the most underrated? Uh, using your air while slurring through things like maybe minor six or dominant seven passages from anywhere like uh, G in the staff to F on top of the staff, like a like that kind of thing. Not using our air and not just like being so worried about placing a note. We're not just thinking about moving the air through the phrase, not playing up to a phrase, mm -hmm. playing through the phrase. Okay, cool. I think that's the first person I've ever heard uh, say that. That's I like that idea, though. Uh, all right. Uh, you uh, can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Listen more. Okay. And uh, while you're there, you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life. Man, that's like a swing boat. Um, I don't know if it's play less chas or more chas. I feel like that's a swing boat. <laughs> I'm not sure which one I'd say. But it's going to be one or the other. One or the other. Okay. Uh Final question. What do you want your legacy to be? I'd like to be remembered as a musician, not as a trumpet player. Uh, and as a loving person, encourage of us playing together and being inclusive. Uh, well, of course, in all spacks aspects of life but uh, yeah i would love my legacy to be like i'm remembered as a good musician not a trumpet player to me that would be like the worst legacy i could leave is being like oh yeah he played trumpet oh god that would yeah musician and love all right just trying to support everyone with love all right. Well, that's that's very cool. Very cool. Um, and it sounds like you're you're working towards that goal every day. So certainly, certainly appreciate it. Right, yeah, there you go. Well, Nick, um, man, I feel like we could keep going forever. Uh, but uh, I'm hit. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, time, you know, your time is valuable. And uh, I got your to... time is valuable, my friend, and yeah. I appreciate you so much for this. Oh, Thank man. you. It's my pleasure, my pleasure. So uh, if you uh, want to find out more about Nick, uh, you can uh, check out the show notes, uh, have links to uh, to his website, as uh, well as uh, I'll, I'll dig up the, the links for the Art of the Cha on there. I think that's... <laughs> that, that it was Michael Davis did that, and actually I have to give a shout out to Michael because um, his hip bone stuff really kind of... Uh, planted a seed uh in me for for doing these kind of things oh yeah it's wonderful so, yeah, uh, yeah so, so so good stuff so props to michael 
and if and if you haven't checked out any hip bone stuff, man, it's it's killer. You know, talks talks with some really great players and some some uh, great little master classes and stuff like that. So, I will give Michael some love in the in the show notes as well, and you know, support support him as well. Yeah, he's a trombone player, so they need all the help they can get. So, um, right, I spent my entire life making fun of trombone players, and then I married one. <sighs> It's your pen. Like karma is. Yeah, karma. <laughs> I was going to say karma was my second wife, but uh, <laughs> that's a different story altogether. Uh, so, anyway, uh, Nick, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to uh, to actually having a, an in person hang, uh, a, a cheesesteak. Oh, and man. A, Me too. And a vodka tonic. Really? And, uh, you know. Just, uh, just, I'll be there in a heartbeat. Yeah, there you go. There you go, man. Uh, and thank you very much for spending time with us today on the Trumpet Gurus Hang. And make sure you you uh, you know like, share, subscribe, uh, whatever it takes, man, to, to keep this going. And uh, you know this is a labor of love, but uh, you know. Oh, I definitely will. I, re- yeah. I definitely will. Yeah. So, folks, it's been a Hang, and as always, we are going to wrap it up with peace and slide grease. We're out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.